Okay, good morning and welcome. It is the second Sunday after Christmas, so technically it's still Christmas. If you need me to sing to you on the first day of Christmas, my... And we could go all the way through them. So, so we're, we're, we're almost there. Today is the 12th and final day of Christmas. Tomorrow is? Hey, oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Tomorrow is Epiphany, and so we will have a special Epiphany service tomorrow night at 7 o'clock on Epiphany. So if you do not have basketball practice, swimming, crossword puzzle group, mahjong group, whatever it is you do, if you don't have anything going on, come join us 7 o'clock uh, for a, uh, a divine service, okay? And uh, uh, Pastor Grady is preaching, I think, right, Pastor Grady? And he promised it's going to be a short sermon because the big game is at 8 o'clock, the championship game. I know all of you are looking forward to rooting for... Wow, that went over like a lead brick. So either there's no Bama fans in here or no Tide fans, no Roll Tide? Wow, no, no Bama either. Okay, well, that's fine, that's fine. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have a dog in the fight either. So, come join us. A couple other things going on here. We're back into our weekly schedule now this next week, okay? So, um, choir on Tuesday, correct? Wednesday starts our normal Wednesday activities. Uh, so, we'll be back to uh, a short uh, catechism service at 7 o'clock. Classes then from 7.30 till 8.30. Um, and I believe high schoolers... Are high school still going to meet this Wednesday? As far as we know, we'll get out an email this week to follow up on that, okay? Uh, so we're back to uh, regular activities this week. Men, January 30th, put it on your calendar. I believe it's a Thursday. We're going to gather here at church about 6 o'clock. We're going to put some meat on top of fire. And then we're going to eat it. And we're going to scratch our bellies and our armpits and say things we can't say at home in front of our wives. Uh, so we're going to have a men's steak night. So come join us. A short Bible study uh, should be done by 8 o'clock, 8.15 after we do the dishes. Those that want to stick around after that, uh, we can play some cards. Uh, if you're afraid of going home, then we'll keep you here a little longer, okay? <laughs> so men's steak night, we'll get that started. Uh, and there's a sign-up. We kind of need to know how many steaks to cut and how much food to fix, so there's a sign-up sheet there in the narthex. Put your John Hancock on there. Um, if you've got a buddy that thinks you, that you think should go, put his name on there, and then make sure you tell him that you signed him up, okay? If you've got a friend, uh, bring them as well, okay? Ten to 15 bucks, we'll kind of figure out the cost. Uh, we don't, we don't want to put a burden on, uh, on anyone for that. Uh, we'll cover that, and that's, that's pre actually pretty good for a steak meal, okay? Any other announcements? that we have. Pastor Grady, anything else we need to... Okay, early service people, um, you were there. So thanks to the Halverson and Dieters family, we have how many total, Pastor? Do you remember what the total count came to? 250? Okay. Um, brand new pew Bibles. Put your hands in the air. Say thanks be to God. It's okay to be a little Pentecostal every now and then. 
Okay, thanks be to God. So we got all new pew Bibles, uh, ESV, uh, match uh, our, our lectionaries as well as our readings and our hymnal, and uh, the Halverson and Dieter's families graciously donated all those. So uh, we uh, blessed those this morning in the early service, late service people, we'll bless them there as well. We can never have too many blessings, right, Craig? We do it all the time. And uh, so we're going to bless them again in late service, and we'll put them in the pews. We also have enough to go in the library and also to go here in the fellowship hall. So we'll have matching Bibles uh, through those three venues. What will we do with the old NIV Bibles, you might ask? We'll distribute those throughout the classrooms, and then whichever ones we don't need, we will find a good place to send them to so that people can have the Word of God, okay, our older Bibles. Okay, comments or questions on that? You're ready to study, aren't you? You've been on Christmas break, and you're so excited to be here today. Uh, good to be back with you. Uh, family and I spent uh, the last, we got in Friday night, uh, spent uh, Sunday through Friday in Kansas City. Uh, got to see uh, both sides of our family. I hadn't been back for a year since we moved out here, so it was kind of kind of neat to go back and spend a little time, uh, do some projects, uh, you know, things that uh, need to be done, and, uh, and just kind of relax. So uh, thanks for letting me get away uh, with my family as well. The Lord be with you. Almighty God, you have poured into our hearts the true light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light may shine forth in our lives. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And I didn't see him come in just yet, but make sure you greet Pastor Feeney. He is here today, uh, and I invited him to preach. Uh, late service people, you're gonna, it's, man, he's a good preacher. Uh, so that was, that was a blessing this morning. Uh, and also here at the late service, uh, he will be baptizing his grandson, Wyatt David Feeney. So pretty cool. So we'll have a lot of uh, uh, Feeneys around, running around here today. So be sure to, to welcome Pastor and Solvay. I, I think he's glad he's back. But in his sermon, he talked about, I, I didn't know if it was swim, swimming every day or drinking every day or running on the beach every day. I, I, you'll have to ask him. So... All right. We have lots of fun together, don't we? Okay, we are in chapter, what are we on here? Chapter 6, or is it 7? It is chapter 7, the sacrament of the altar. Uh, this is Dr. Kurt Marquartz, Saving Truth, the Doctrine for Lay People. And if you have the hard copy, we're on page 106. And this is the second full paragraph, which begins with the words of institution. So the words of institution are clear in and of themselves. Their official interpretation, moreover, by Christ's authorized and inspired apostle, St. Paul, leaves no doubt about their literal intended sense. Okay? So remember last week we did a little bit of a review. Okay? Uh, and Marquardt, in, in typical fashion, and this is how we as pastors would normally teach a proper understanding of the Lord's Supper, is there's really kind of three main views of the Lord's Supper. Okay? There's what we would call the Roman view which is that, what do you get in the sacrament? How many things do you get in the sacrament according to Rome? Technically, two. You get what? Body and blood. Okay? The, the bread and wine technically are not there. Okay? That's explained away by philosophy. And so last week we took a little bit of a philosophy head trip going back to Aristotle and his teaching of substans and accidents, and how St. Thomas Aquinas in the, that would be the early 13th century, I believe, 
took all of the philosophical teaching of Aristotle and applied it to Scripture and arrived at something that is known as transubstantiation. Okay? I also warned you, however, you will meet Roman Catholics and Roman Catholic priests who do not like transubstantiation. I've talked with a few that <laughs> they're really close. And I've had a few that have even looked at me and said, you Lutherans got this right. Hey, cool. <laughs> so there is some debate within, within Rome. Keep in mind, Rome is a very big church. And if you follow anything with, with the, the Rome and the papacy, you, there, there's always some dissension on some things, okay? But officially, their teaching would fall under transubstantiation. Okay? Uh, which would be that you're just receiving the body and blood of Jesus, the bread and wine now, it's just the taste, color, and texture that exist. Okay? On the far other side of it, you would have that very large category as well for the Reformed who would teach what? What do you get with, with that understanding of the Lord's Supper? Bread and wine. Okay, And that the body and blood is not to be understood literally, but only figuratively symbolically, okay, all right, and we're, we're generalizing here as Marquardt did. Hold on, Chuck. And then in the middle, you've got the stodgy Lutherans, okay, who would say you get what? You get four. You get the bread and the wine, and you get the body and blood. And how do we know that? We just simply said Jesus says. Is means is. This bread is my body, okay, uh, this cup, this wine is my blood, okay? Uh, and it's a little bit of a mystery, which is where the word sacrament comes from. Sacrament uh, is a Latin word. Uh, we translate it as mystery. Mysterion would be the Greek word. Um, and so sacrament in that sense is from Scripture. It's mysterious. So that's why Paul says men ought to consider us, pastors, those appointed to preach, teach, and minister the sacraments, you ought to consider us as stewards of the Mysterion, the mysteries of God. Okay, now Chuck. Ooh, okay. Uh, his question was, for those listening on the old interweb, is he had heard that Catholics uh, have a belief regarding the Lord's Supper that Christ is being re-sacrificed. Yes and no. Okay? And Marquardt's actually going to get into this here in a few pages. So I'm going to have you wait for the answer to that one. Otherwise, we won't get anywhere where we need to go today. Okay? Um, so I'm going to say yes and no as an answer to that, which is a good Lutheran answer, right? <laughs> yes and no. Oh, it's a paradox. Okay. Any other questions? Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, good question. So this was obviously an issue at the time of the Reformation. Communion uh, only in one kind. Luther took issue with that. And so if you read our Lutheran confessions, one of the things that makes very clear is the importance of communion in both kinds, meaning bread and wine, body and blood. Okay. And the question is, why did they do that with just one? And why do, and not some Roman Catholic, I've been to Mass before where they give both. Raise your hand if you've been to a Roman Catholic Mass where they give both. Okay, now put your hands down. Now raise your hand if you've been to a Roman Catholic ma Mass where they only give one. And it kind of depends on what diocese you're in, okay? 
Now let's see how smart some of you are. Anybody want to try answering this question before I take a stab at it? Why do they only commune in one kind? And what, what do they normally receive if it's one kind? Bread. Okay. Anybody want to take a stab at this? You want to answer your own question? Okay. Yeah. What did they say? Yes. I've heard that explanation. There is also a very practical explanation that uh, dates back historically, uh, and that's with a concern with people having alcohol. Okay? So there's actually some historical evidence for that as well, that, you know, if there's somebody that has a problem with drink or whatever, we don't want to be giving it to them. Of course, the other problem became who did all the drinking. So there's a lot of jokes about that too, right? Uh, the priest uh, back in the sacristy, <laughs> yeah, makes for interesting sermons. <laughs> okay, um, so so yes, but you hit on probably what is the 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 normal one is they they don't need it. The the blood is there in the in the in the in the body. Okay, for the Roman Catholics as well. Remember, technically in Roman Catholicism, there is no salvation outside the church. That is still official Roman Catholic dogma. Did you know that? Still. That hadn't technically changed. Now, they dance around it a lot, okay? Um, but that's, that, that's still, an <laughs> that hasn't been rescinded yet. Uh, the new Pope here is doing some interesting things, and there's, there's some ripples that are coming about. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll see where they go with that. Um, but, um, you know, the concept of the body in terms of the church is that the church then as one body, the body of Christ, then receives and only needs the body. So, so there's a few kind of interesting things. We would simply say Christ didn't limit it in any way, did he? There is no proscription, meaning Christ simply saying do it this way or don't do it this way. Okay, um, So he said take and eat, take and drink, and so we take, eat, take, drink. So we just simply heed his word. Okay? Any other questions? Okay. So let's get back here to Marquardt because what he's going to get at is that when we talk about there being body and blood there in and under the bread and wine, and Marquardt does not like the word with, okay? And I kind of agree with him, but you have to, you have to follow a little bit of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the semantics and some of the historical use of the word with, and we're going to get to that here in the next page or two. Um, so in and under, we simply say there is the body and blood of Jesus in and under now the bread and the wine. Why? Because he says so. Um, do we understand this in their little intended sense? Yes. Number one, uh, Mark Wart writes, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 calls the sacramental bread and wine, quote, the participation in the body and blood of Christ. So one cannot participate or share in something that is not there. Fair point? How do you participate in something if it's not really there? Okay. Number two, to abuse the Holy Supper is to, read it with me, be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Okay. They're clearly present. Okay. So the Lord's Supper there, uh, sinning against what? It doesn't say bread and wine. It says specifically, and not one kind either, two kinds, against the body and blood of the Lord. Three, to receive the sacrament, read it with me, without discerning, 
distinguishing, differentiating the body of the Lord is to receive it to judgment. Okay? So without discerning the body of the Lord, okay, uh, and we're not just talking about this, this symbolic large type of body presence, and that's where a lot of Reformed will go. Is, is that's why it's a fellowship or memorial meal. So it's about the body of Christ. We would say, hey, wait a minute, because the other two points... Now, now we've, got, we've got this. Without differentiating it, it's to receive judgment. Okay, and he goes on, number four, a purely spiritual eating and drinking of Christ, which is simply believe in him, John 6, verse 50, can never harm anyone, and no one should be warned against it. So if it's only spiritual, then, then the Bible, or the Apostle John, the Holy Spirit, is warning us against about having faith. And that doesn't jive with the rest of Scripture's. So if one can eat and drink the Lord's body and blood, quote, to judgment, then this cannot be the purely spiritual eating and drinking of faith. You follow what he's saying here? You can't have it both ways, okay? Because if Scripture interprets Scripture, and and that's how we would uh, believe the Bible, and that's where you get into then different interpretations of, of Scripture itself. And so the best interpretation of Scripture is... Scripture itself, and that's why you need to study it that way. Five, the parallels of Jewish and pagan sacrificial meals make it clear that the participation meant there is one that happens through physical eating and drinking, not by some mental or, quote, spiritual process, okay? So participation meant uh, an actual physical eating and drinking, okay? There's a book that came out, boy, it's been 10, maybe 15 years ago, Let's see if any of you have read it. I think it's entitled Three Cups of Tea. Any heard of that book? Um, a very interesting book. My, my dad gave it to me to read. And it was about, I believe, a, a journalist who traveled to uh, the Middle East to try and understand Islam. Okay? And, and one of the things he learned uh, that was part of the tradition was having tea with someone. Okay? And the, and the first cup of tea uh, would, would, would always be offered really to anyone. But if you truly want to get to know someone, you have to kind of go through the process. And it's not until you get to the third cup of tea, if you get to the third cup of tea. Okay? So, so when you're inviting a guest in, uh, and Muslims would, would be the same as us as Christians, we should always be ready to welcome in and care for our neighbor, right? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your... Very good. Second is like it. Jesus said, love your... Yeah, so be hospitable. Love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Who did Jesus say is your neighbor? Everybody, right? Everyone is your neighbor. So you are supposed to love your neighbor, even the people you disagree with, even the people that smell, people that cut you off on 465. Yep, you're supposed to love them, okay, Uh, and pray for them. People have cheated against you. I mean, yes, so Jesus is all of them, okay? You're supposed to love your neighbor. Uh, and so there's this concept of, of caring and loving for your neighbor. So this whole three cup of tea was, you know, you sit down, first cup of tea is kind of just to get to know you. We haven't met before. Let's sit down and have a cup of tea, and we're going to get to know each other, okay? Now, by the time you get to the third cup, you're pretty much considered family. I'm kind of condensing the book for you. But it's very interesting. There's, there's a process now that you go through in getting to know someone, and it has to do with doing what? Yeah, drinking tea, of course, and eating whatever little biscuits and depends on where you're at, 
okay? Um, and, 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 I, and I didn't realize this. My dad made a connection for me. We had some clients years ago. I was back in, in high school. Um, and, 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 and they were, they were Muslim, um, but uh, they, were, they were from somewhere in, in Turkey, if you will. And they earned a little, a, had a little bakery. Um, and so they, they didn't look, if you will, you know, uh, like what a lot of people would think in terms of Muslims. They look like <laughs> regular white folk from Kansas City uh, and really nice people. And so they were clients of ours, and, uh, and, and I didn't realize this till later. They took us through the whole three cups of tea thing without even realizing it, okay? And she made the best baklava I've ever had. It was off the hook, right? Just just ridiculous. So good. The honey and... And, 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 yeah, there were nuts in it, sweetie. I'm still allergic to those. I don't remember choking and dying on that back then. Um, but, you know, my dad, he said, he said, wow, he said, they kind of took us through that whole three cups of tea. We didn't even realize it because we ended up having three cups of tea with them over the course of, like, two different appointments in their home. And then they became very uh, dear friends. After that, they actually sent my parents, you know, a pan of baklava every Christmas for, like, five or six years in a row, Okay. Um, and Dad stayed in touch with them, and, and they were they were great for business. Uh, so it's very interesting. So even in paganism, or just in the world itself, we see the importance of having a meal with someone, right? Of inviting someone into your home. And we just came through the holidays, so perhaps you can relate to this: the importance of gathering with your family or inviting other people in to share a meal with you. Okay. Uh, so and none of that is to be understood spiritually. Hey, let's, let's, let's uh, come on over to our house to eat. Don't really come to our house. Let's just pretend that you're going to come to my house. And we'll both eat in our houses, but we'll, we'll spiritually, we'll kind of just think that we're together. That's ridiculous. If I invited you and said that, you'd think I was crazy. So we don't think Jesus is crazy here. We know exactly what he's talking about. It's about having an actual meal. Okay, questions or comments on that? Yes. Say that one more time. Oh, that book was. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. He said the, uh, that book, and it's called Three Cups of Tea, right, was issued actually to the troops going into the first Iraq, uh, Iraqi war. So Operation Desert Storm, I assume, or something like that. Okay, okay. To help them understand, I assume, kind of the Muslim culture and the world. Okay, very interesting. Okay, all right. I always like it when I remember something important. I usually remember the, the silly stuff. So that was a kind of a good one. Okay, no other questions? Thank you, John. More generally, it is wrong to apply St. John 6.63, and let's read that together. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Now, some would say, we can't apply that, okay? And some would say, yeah, we got to apply that to Jesus, and so a reform position would be to say this, the Spirit gives life. We're not talking about a, a physical eating and drinking, okay? Uh, the flesh counts for nothing, okay? But, and see, Marquardt says this, it's wrong to do that and then to play off the Spirit against his flesh. Of course, our own sin- sinful flesh counts for nothing. That's really speaking of our flesh, your flesh and mine, because it's tainted, Right? We're sinful from the time our mother conceived us. And that's why the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And the word is not only the word that is written, it's the word that is in the body of Christ as well, because he's both human and divine. 
And that's a connection a lot of people don't make. Christ endures forever, and he yet lives and reigns in heaven above, and he's got all authority under heaven and earth. And, and if he says, by gosh and by golly, I'm going to be there in bread and wine, we just say, okay, <laughs> you're God. <laughs> I don't understand it. I can't figure it out, but you're God, and I'm simply going to take you at your word, Right? And so even back when we talked about baptism, same thing with baptism. You're clothed with his righteousness in baptism. I can't see it. Do you believe it? Yeah. Why? Because he says so. Does baptism save you? Yeah. Do you understand all that? I don't. I'm not going to claim to. If you claim to understand all that, you're much closer to God and probably divine than I am. A simple Christian simply takes what scripture says and says, I believe that, right? And then because he says we need this, we say, (laughs) I'm here to receive. And that's what worship is all about. Not what we do, about receiving the Lord's gifts. And that's why we begin our service in baptism. That's why we invite you when you bring your kids up to the communion rail, let them play in the water. I don't care if the water gets everywhere. Let them get wet. I wish we had a big, gigantic swimming pool up there. And we just toss the kids in, let them play a little bit. That'd be such a mess. But what a great, huh? And drown them, well, drown the sinful nature, not the actual kid. I'm joking. I mean, that would just be, yeah. We would never get any moms that would come to church then. Oh, let's go. Okay, any other comments or questions? I got a little off my rocker there, sorry. Okay, so back, where am I at here? Okay. So the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. So it's wrong to say that and then to play off the spirit against his flesh. Of course, our own sinful flesh counts for nothing. What of his flesh, however, which he had just characterized as life-giving, and that's what John 6, 51 to 58 is all about, right? So, so John 6 uh, is about faith, and it is a foreshadowing, a pointing to of the Lord's Supper that Christ has not yet instituted, right? So in theological circles, this is where pastors and professors, there's this camp of people, right? And John 6 is about the Lord's Supper. John 6 is not about the Lord's Supper. John 6 is about the Lord's Supper. Are you picking up what's going down? And if you're a pastor, you spend any time around them, you know, it's like, you fall into, you know, <laughs> and then there's those of us who are like, can't we all get along? <laughs> no, it's kind of like, you're both right. Because John 6 is not instituting the Lord's Supper yet. But it's all God's Word. So is it informing and preparing us for Christ who is going to institute the Lord's Supper? Absolutely. In the same way, the Passover and all these things are pointing forward to the Lamb of God who's going to come and an actual meal that's going to be eaten. Right Now, if Dr. Scare were here, he'd beat me with a stick, and he'd, he'd find some, something to make fun of me about, and that's okay. Um, but on, on the other hand, you, you'd have you know, Marquardt and Pless and some others who are kind of on the other side of it. Now, I'll let the academics deal with that. I'm a simple guy. So we just simply look at Scripture, and when Jesus talks about his flesh, you should always be thinking about all of his flesh. That's all I would say. All of it. Okay? And faith? Wonderful. All good stuff. Okay, So when the Word became flesh, full of grace and truth, so that in Him, read it with me, all the fullness of the Godhead lives bodily. You see what Marquardt is doing here? All the fullness of the Godhead lives bodily. 
the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Okay, so Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, he doesn't have flesh on yet, is around at the beginning of the world. He is the Word that is speaking. Let there be a hippopotamus. I always tell the preschoolers, like, hippopotamus. <laughs> you know, and Jesus simply speaks it, and poof, it's there. And that's the Word, right? doesn't have flesh on yet, okay? Uh, and that's, that's why John now, who is speaking to, uh, to Gnostics, to people who are really dealing with this spiritual, physical thing, okay? Uh, and then there's some dualism, and we're not going to get into to a lot of that right now. Uh, but John is simply, in the beginning was the Word. And then 14 verses later, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And that's the incarnation, right? So, so that's the Word of God with skin and bones on, Right? Okay, um, so so this is this is is the word of God now with literally with meat, carne, okay, incarnation with meat with flesh, right? Um, and okay, questions comments there. Okay, so uh, let me just read the whole. Let me put the whole sentence together. When the word became flesh, full of grace and truth, so that in him all the fullness of the Godhead lives bodily. It is sheer sacrilege to suggest that this holy and saving flesh counts for nothing. Okay? So, so the important thing is, if Jesus says he is there in his flesh, okay, and, and we can't explain that. We simply say, okay, he's here with us. We can't go so far to say, oh, that's just spiritual, or that's just symbolic. That would not be taking Jesus at his word. So that then implies a lack of faith simply in his word. Okay? But don't get stuck with the, the knowledge and understanding side of it. Faith simply receives his word and says, amen. Okay. okay. Nor does the Holy Spirit despite outward, despise outward tangible things as such as imagined by a false spiritualizing. When he acted, for example, in the miracle of the incarnation, the blessed virgin conceived not an occult spirit being, but the flesh and blood Savior. What did Mary give birth to? The Savior. Still a human baby? Still with poopy diapers? Okay? You know, there's always that. Have you ever had that fun discussion? This is where seminarians and pastors, you know, did Jesus ever cry? Did Jesus ever get a cold? Anybody want to weigh in on these discussions? I, they're fun to have, especially after you've had a few Lutheran beverages, and people can get kind of feisty about that. Or if you're hanging out with, with Voltman, it's got to be good bourbon. Um, and, uh, you know, so yeah, that's not right, Voltman, is it? Where is he? He's the beer guy. The bourbon guy's over here. Okay. So, okay, yeah, fun to talk about, I mean, those things. But Jesus was fully human. So... Leave it at that. I mean, you know, um, are, are we going to have are we going to have toilets in heaven? As part of being sinful, the fact that your body produces waste. <laughs> oh, aren't you glad I'm asking these questions? I mean, we don't know the answers to all that, do we? I mean, we we don't. We simply know that we will be we will after the resurrection when Jesus returns, our bodies will be raised. You know. It'll all work out. Don't worry about it. Some of you that are germophobes, you'll be okay in heaven. Everything is going to be good. There won't be any, any sin. I, we don't have all those details. We have God's promises. Jesus was a fully human little baby. Leave it at that. Okay? 
I'm sure he had diapers, okay? Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he cried because, one, that's part of what babies do in their development, okay? Um, he had obviously had to learn some things. Scripture says that Joseph taught him, so obviously he needed to still be taught and trained because he was human. He didn't come out of the womb already knowing four or five languages, did he? So his, his divinity, if you will, while it was still there, developed still as a normal human would. Okay? And that's why one of the things now, if you pay attention this time of year, how the historic church understood these things. So, so today we, we've got kind of the, the, the story, and I don't want to steal any thunder from Pastor Feeney's excellent sermon, uh, the story of the kind of the flight to Egypt and the slaughter of the innocents. Okay? Where do we go now? Epiphany. We've, we've got the, the, the wise men now, of course, uh, uh, coming. Um, that's all kind of part. And, and don't always look at the church here like it's linear. Don't think like a Western. The church here doesn't always work that way, that it's A to B to C to D and that sort of thing. Okay, uh, But we'll be very close here on the baptism of Jesus. All of a sudden, in the space of three, four weeks, you know, he went from being you know, a baby to being 30 years of age. Okay, uh, And so you ha- kind of have all that going on. But pay attention at least to the progression of the things that are happening. So Jesus begins his ministry, and it begins with baptism. And then immediately the wedding at Canaan Galilee, his first miracle. Okay, Jars of, uh, of water for purification that he now takes and turns into wine. All of that pointing forward, of course, to what? To an actual drinking of his blood. It's not the Lord's Supper yet. Just as John 6 isn't the Lord's Supper yet, but it all informs and points forward to that. Okay, any comments on that? I'm getting off topic a little bit. Pastor Feeney, anything you want to weigh in on back there? You want to wave to everybody? Let's all turn around and wave and say, welcome home. We're so blessed to have him here today. Okay. Okay, so the Spirit likewise distributes life and salvation through outward words and speech and in holy and intimate union with the water and the blood. So the word, and that's why the importance of of speaking that word is still done today. That's why publicly, those that are called now to speak that word are are set apart, right? So that's why we as pastors put these robes on, or these dresses as I like to call them, right? And, And to some people, it looks a little silly, okay? Why do we do that? Because these men now are called to speak this life-giving word. And we believe as this word is spoken and as it is preached and as it is ministered, that God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is here and at work. And not only that, he's creating. He's creating something new. He's creating faith in you. He's bringing wisdom. He's bringing understanding, right? And then the good catechism answer, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Okay, So he comes now to literally equip you for every good work and to send you, to turn you around and send you out of here to go do what? Oh, come on, really? To do what? To go and serve your neighbor. To go and do good works that he's already prepared in advance for you to do. He's got good use for you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what's wrong with your body or your mind. He has good use for you. Always. Okay? And if you're struggling to figure out what that is, (laughs) ask your friends and family or ask your wife. Maybe she'll give you a list. Okay? (laughs) Or vice versa. Okay? Come talk to your pastors. We'll we'll give you something to do. Okay? Um, God has good use for you. Okay? 
All right, but, it, but it, it's, it's all through the creating word, all right? So sometimes if you're struggling with some of those things, I would say the first thing you need is probably just a little bit more of, of God's word. Let the Holy Spirit work. If you come talk to me, I'll, I'll ask you, how, you know, how's your devotional life? Okay, and I'll probably know the answer to the second question as well. You know, we've been coming to church lately, been hearing God's word, receiving his gifts, because we believe the, the Lord works through that. So if you're struggling to figure out where and when, Okay, well, if you're a Christian, you should say, I want the Lord to guide my path. I want him to be the lamp for my, my feet, the light for my path, and, and I believe he's going to provide for me. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to say that and then never spend time with him. Correct? I mean, if he's that important to you, let him then speak to you through his word and his sacraments. Okay? Okay. Next paragraph. One must finally consider the whole relation between the Old and the New Testaments. They stand to each other as a provisional shadow to the permanent reality. The words of the scripture are clearly intended as a great counterthrust to the ancient words of Moses. And let's read this together. This is the blood of the covenant testament, right? So, so, so Leviticus people, we've, we've been studying Leviticus now, and wow, it just kind of blows your mind. And those of you that can't be with us on, on Wednesday morning, because the Lord has good use for you in other ways, um, wow, I mean, what, what great connections here with the sacrificial system, uh, the covenant now that God makes with his people, the use of blood, and how Jesus now is not only that lamb, he is that blood, that nephish, but, but he's also the priest, <laughs> Right? I mean, he's everything. And he's everything now for you. Right? Um, so this is the blood of the covenant, the testament. So the Passover meal, I mentioned that earlier, formed the setting for the Last Supper. And it should be noted that at the Passover, real bread and flesh were eaten. It wasn't like a little tea party that my sisters would invite me to when they were little. It drove me nuts. I love these little girls. They were annoying as, oh, my goodness. And, and, and mom and dad would be gone, and I'd have to babysit, and my sisters wanted to play with their... They had these troll dolls, which my sister showed to me this last week. She kept her whole collection of troll dolls. They got this scrunchy face with the hair that goes straight up in the, in the air. And, and not only that, she kept her My Little Ponies. I hated those when I was a big brother. They'd be all over, Right? I mean, boys, we, we would have Legos, and the girls, they'd leave, you know, and then the Barbie dolls. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I had all this. I took a Barbie doll once, and I dipped it in a hairspray bottle, and I let it hang upside down. So when I turned it upright, it looked like a troll. <laughs> and then my brother thought, I wonder what Barbie hair smells like when it burns. So he lit it on fire. <laughs> yeah, and uh, my sister threw that Barbie away. I was really hoping she kept that one, but... Uh, yeah, these are, these are, these are all, all real things, right? So, so the tea parties, the thing that drove me nuts is we would go and we would pretend to eat and drink. And I'd be like, I don't want to pretend. I, I want something to eat and drink. Of course, mom and dad wouldn't let them have food in their rooms, right? Which never made sense. But if you're going to have a tea party, you should have tea. Well, Jesus doesn't come and have a pretend tea party with you. It's, it's a real meal right? Same thing with the Passover meal. The remembering that they had of how God miraculously rescued them all the way from Egypt was not just, oh, kumbaya, my Lord. You remember back when? Oh, yeah, kumbaya. You remember when he led us to... No, there was actual eating and drinking, and that was part of the meal. And so why shouldn't that be part now of what's going on? And not only that, why can't it be what Jesus says it is? 
This is, this is my flesh. This is my body. This is my blood. And God's people just simply say, amen, and leave it at that. So the Passover meal formed the setting for the Last Supper. Now, if even the shadowy Old Testament types gave real flesh and blood, right, how could the New Testament fulfillment and reality possibly give less? Thank you, Marquardt, for just simply stating it so effectively. How could it offer more pictures, symbols, and reminders? No. In the New Testament, Holy of Holies, the Lamb of God himself feeds us with his own flesh and blood, once and for all sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. Right? So there's not a re-sacrificing, and we'll tackle that language a little later on, okay? Uh, in terms of, is, is, you know, does Rome believe that there's another sacrifice going on? Yes and no. We'll talk about that, okay? Uh, but, but this is what the divine service, which is all God's work. So when we're coming into the divine service, it's kind of why it looks so different from the rest of the world. It doesn't look like a movie theater, okay? You've got men up there in dresses. Well, maybe that does look like a movie theater, uh, <laughs> I'm joking. I, where were we that we were driving and I saw, um, oh my goodness, I just forgot the name of it, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, you know, <laughs> young children, close your, close your ears, right? All right. Uh, and so the, so the divine service looks so different from that of the world, completely different, okay? Because we are stepping into the presence of God. And so just as the priests would, would wash and, 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 and cleanse themselves and put on robes to serve in the temple, we as pastors now do the same thing because we're serving here as God's stewards for you. And not only that, it's the same God that's present here and now. Okay, He's not stuck somewhere else. Just as he came to be in the Holy of Holies back then, so he comes to be with us here today which is why there's not only a reverence to worship, um, and that's something a lot of people you know, really don't kind of, kind of grasp all the time, okay? Uh, and traditions can, can vary, okay? You don't have to have all of the, the, the special and ornate things. That'll depend on space and place. Pastor Feeney just came back from the Cayman Islands. They didn't have a whole lot of, of space and place, did you? And, and all the stained glass window and, 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 and all the crosses, Okay? You don't have to have all those things. That'll, that'll slowly develop. Okay, Ask him if he still wore a robe. Can I put you on the spot a little bit? Yeah, he did when he still served. Okay, um, And it, did he have to? Did you have to do that? No, he did not. That would not have been sinful in any way, shape, or form. Okay, Knowing him, I would assume he did that to kind of teach a little bit about the importance of, of heaven being opened. Right? So everything that we do has a reason behind it, okay? But we also don't go so far to make those things a law, okay? So if there's something that you see with what we do uh, in church and in worship and you're like, ugh, what's that, okay? Or you're coming from a different background where you had somebody that taught against that or something, come ask us. Come talk to us as pastors. We'll gladly sit down and, and explain some of that. And, and sometimes you might have an idea for something new that you've seen somewhere else. And we can kind of talk about that as well. Okay, uh, You know, it's awesome. But, but all of it comes back to the reality that the one true God is literally physically and visibly present with us here and now. Right? So the Holy of Holies, the Lamb of God Himself, feeds us with his own flesh and blood. Now, it remains, Marquardt says, only to tidy up some matters of language. To talk simply of the, quote, real presence, for instance, clearly is not enough. No Christian ever denied that Christ as God is present everywhere, right? This is one of the big 50-cent omni words. Omni, 
present, right? Omniscient, omnipotent. Some of those might have been drummed into you back in catechism uh, or elsewhere. So, yeah, God's everywhere. And that's the first thing, you know, when I, you know, I ask, you know, say, hey, I've been in church in a while. I haven't seen you in a while. Why don't you come to church? I still worship God in my own way, Pastor. And I was like, well, his way is not good enough? <laughs> you got to invent your own way, you know. I worship God in my bass boat, or I worship God in my recliner, or I fill in the blank, whatever it is you like to do, okay. And, of course, that, that's really not truly worship. Now, what the person is saying is I still have faith. And, yes, faith still saves. But, boy, you're sure opening yourself up to a lot of problems, right? So if your doctor says, you know, you've got this condition, and thanks be to God, there's a new medicine made to treat your condition, And here's the prescription. All you got to do is go and get it filled. And you say, nah, nah, I got better things to do. And so you you, you never go and and get what is freely offered to you. Okay? And you just leave it alone. And that's kind of what coming to church is all about. You're coming to get what you need. And God promises to to not only care for you spiritually, but also physically. You got a physical ailment? Call us, we'll bring you the Lord's body and blood. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. You got an ailment physically in your body? We'll come bring you the Lord's body and blood. Why? Because we believe that the Lord's body and blood is not just for you spiritually, it's also for you. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Okay? Now, the Lord will still care for you. I mean... Always, because he always does. But if, if he offers that, hey, there's something. That's why Augustine and Luther and some of the other fathers talked about the Lord's Supper as the medicine of immortality. Right? Be like, what? <laughs> That's medicine of immortality. That will support you in your body and life. Okay? Okay. No questions there? I thought maybe that would get a hand up or two. No? Okay. Well, good. So, um, no Christian ever denied that Christ as God is present everywhere. Moreover, when we pray, let's say it together, come Lord Jesus be our guest. What are you thinking about when you pray that? I would hope that what you're thinking about is, Jesus, please be present here now. Okay? And that in your baptism, you're also praying for his return I hope you're thinking a little bit about that. You should always be thinking last days. He could return at any time. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Okay? Uh, And so you're employing that this meal, this family, be blessed now with the Lord's presence. We clearly have in mind our Lord's real personal presence. Okay? Yet, of course, breakfast cereal is not the sacrament, right? Okay? So in the Lord's Supper, not a generic real present lies at issue, and we're going to finish up here, but the unique sacramental, and remember sacramental, mysterious, not able to be completely understood, simply taken at his word, the unique sacramental presence of Christ's body and blood in the consecrated bread and wine. So a simple three-point test will tell a genuine confession of the sacramental presence from mere sound-alike rhetoric. You ready? We're going to close with this. Number one. Sacramental union. Is it confessed that the Lord's body and blood are so united with the bread and wine that the latter are truly the participation in this body and blood? Answer? Did you hear the question? I just asked you a question. You're supposed to say yes or no. Yes. (laughs) If not, if Christ's body and blood are thought of as a given in some other way than by the external eating and drinking, then we have spiritualizing rhetoric instead of the New Testament reality. 
So is it really here in this meal? And the answer is simply yes. Number two, oral reception. Are the body and blood of Christ said to be received with the mouth or only spiritually by faith? Which one? By mouth. That's why you'll see some people, just as a, a, a mother hen, you know, feeds her young. So you'll see some people, and you did not a law you have to do this. For some people, totally freaks them out. But understand why some people stick out their tongues at their pastor. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Uh, why do they do that? To be fed. If you desire that, stick out your tongue at us. We won't be offended, and we'll paste the Lord's body on your tongue. Okay? We won't touch your tongue, not normally. If we do, we've got Germex up there, okay? It's all good, okay? Otherwise, hold out your hands. doesn't matter how you receive it, but understand why some people do that, okay? Because, hey, the Lord is, is feeding, okay? He's doing that, okay? Three, reception by the unworthy. Is it confessed that everyone who takes the sacrament thereby receives Christ's true body and blood? Yeah. Don't fall into the, the error or false teaching of receptionism. I've, I've encountered this even in Missouri Synod churches where, you know, the Lord's body and blood, it's only there if, if I believe it's there. Wow, didn't know you were God. Or you've got God on a leash. You can just control God and make Him be wherever you want Him to be. Oh, no, I didn't mean it that way. Well, that's what you're saying. Because His Word determines if a thing is there, right? So if His Word is there and it says this bread is my body and this wine is my blood, then that's what it is. And that's why we treat what's left over with reverence, by the way. We simply eat and drink it. We only consecrate what we need, okay? Uh, we don't know whether it remains the body and blood of Jesus or not. So a simple way to deal with that question is we just, we just eat and drink it, okay? Not so much that we're, right? Okay? But, hey, that's a big deal, Okay? Um, so if not, if it depends on faith, then no objective presence is confessed, whatever the rhetoric. Okay? So your takeaway for today, it's all objective. It's not subjective. God's Word is objective. If He says it's there, it's simply there, and you simply say, Amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord, remember us in Your kingdom and teach us again to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you.